Amen. Thank you. And Merry Christmas, everybody. I am uh, excited. You know what's funny is that I've watched that cute little video for the foster kids probably half a dozen times now. It's the first time I was emotional just thinking about them getting the joy of receiving all of the gifts that so many of you went out and purchased and got for them and just all the ways we don't realize how our influence and partnership goes and grows and uh, makes a difference in the kingdom. And I hope you have uh, enjoyed the holiday season as we've walked through this season of Advent. Um, I shared with you early on, I've never walked through the Advent season quite like this before. And so it's been fun uh, to kind of create and have a new tradition as we've walked through this. And it was funny, I was thinking about all of the traditions that we have at Christmas time. Some of my favorite traditions, some of the traditions that maybe you're waiting for, excited for. Uh, some of those traditions involve getting together with family, eating special food. Uh, some of us are excited. The tree's all ready. Uh, at uh, my house, we get to open one gift on Christmas Eve. And, uh, and so my kids are really excited about that. Uh, I've been teasing them, telling them that's not gonna happen this year. That's not like set in stone. That's not promised. And they're all freaking out about it. And mom's been, mom's been undermining me and, and uh, letting them know it's gonna be all right. But, uh, but it's funny, you think of all the traditions that we have. When I was growing up, we had a, a lot of traditions. We would uh, always go to my grandmother's house and all the Puerto Ricans would show up. Now, you gotta remember we're in Northern California, so we uh, can be outside, not just inside. But this small house, about 1,500 square feet um, in Northern California, you know, it's 70 degrees outside, so we can be outside uh, at the holiday time. But there'd be 60, 70, 80 Puerto Ricans just crawling all over this house, everywhere you can see. And there'd be food. There'd be food being cooked in the backyard, in the kitchen, in the front yard, snacks, things were getting baked. I mean, it was just this sprawling spread of uh, food and hanging out and family and football and making up games. And if we didn't have toys, we'd take other toys. And I'll never forget one time, uh, I don't know who got the doll for Christmas, but we popped the head off and made a hacky sack out of it. There were crying babies, but there were happy teenagers. And, uh, and you know, it's just, it's good to be big. Uh, <laughs> but we had all these fun traditions and we'd eat panadillas and basteles and all of the, all of the food that you kind of only get that time of year or maybe turkey um, or, or whatever, uh, whatever your tradition is. And those things were always really fun. And one of the traditions we had, my grandmother, she was very adamant that we didn't open any presents until Christmas. So we had to stay up till midnight. Now you have this army of little, like a sea of little kids excited for Christmas and jacked up on food and candy and snacks and everybody's just geeked out and excited and everyone about nine o'clock is just like come on can we just open some presents she's like no mijo not till midnight not till midnight not till midnight so one year I was probably about 12 years old and uh, you got to remember this is before everybody had digital everything right we had a plan I said, you know what we're gonna do we're gonna take the clock and we're gonna roll it forward about two hours and see if grandma notices. And we managed to do Christmas two hours early. I think she knew now that I'm older uh, and just went with it, but it was hilarious, it was fun. We opened presents at 10 o'clock. Everybody was geeked out of their mind, especially the parents who could take their kids home and <laughs> put them to bed at a reasonable time. But we have all these traditions and sometimes in the midst of all of our traditions, we can get all of that stuff going and really miss the whole heart of Christmas and the coming of Jesus and what the Christmas season is all about. So we come to a place like this and, uh, and we get to think about uh, our traditions and what we want to do at Christmas. And my question for you this holiday season is what are you waiting for? 
What is the thing that you're most waiting for as we come steamrolling into the final kind of 48 hours until Christmas? Maybe you're waiting to see family. You can't wait for some friends or family that are going to come to town. Maybe you're waiting to travel. You're getting ready. You're going to head from here and get on the road and, uh, and brave the traveling things to get to over the river and through the woods or wherever you're headed this, uh, this holiday season. Maybe you're waiting for special food. Maybe you're waiting for that uh, special, uh, exciting, big gift. I remember being a child and getting like usually one big epic gift. I don't know if you thought back and thought, what was the biggest, the best, the most epic gift that you ever got? For me, that's a no-brainer. You know, in the era before video game stuff, when we actually got toys that we had to play with outside and do things with, right? We didn't just uh, plug them in and go. We got, you know, like basketballs and baseballs and bats and things like that, bicycles, things that you played outside with. The best gift, the best gift of all time I got was a Voltron. Now, some of you are chuckling because you know what Voltron is, but if you don't know what Voltron is, Voltron was the most epic gift ever. Kind of in the pre-Transformer era, before we, uh, before we had all Transformers everywhere, Voltron was five amazing lions who came together to form the robot Voltron who was the defender of the universe. Now, back in the day, Voltron was actually made with metal parts. He wasn't plastic. So he was like a 15 pound toy. He was a big old brick of a toy when you put him together. So I would take him outside with my neighborhood friends and my cousins and just smash all their toys with this giant hammer of a robot. It was the best Christmas toy ever. It was so exciting. I loved Voltron. And then my cousin eventually took the lions and because every toy had more than one purpose, went in the backyard and used them like a baseball and smashed all my Voltron toys again. Okay, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm back. I'm back. R.I.P. Voltron. Uh, it, was, it was good while it lasted. But, but we have so many traditions, and some of us are waiting for, for big things. You're waiting for family to arrive. You're waiting for food. You're waiting for a package to show up that hasn't shown up yet. Some of you are stressing out. You're waiting. You're waiting. Some of you are waiting for me to be done talking so you can just go home and get your Christmas plans on. Don't worry. I won't, uh, I won't hold you too long today. I'm, I'm excited about that. What I love is that this time of year, we all come together and remember a group of people who are waiting on the coming of a baby, of a baby, a baby, a baby. Now, how many of you have had a baby? That's okay, yeah, I know, yeah, lots of you, right? You know what it's like. We've had three, and I gotta tell you something. When you're waiting on a baby, things don't always go as expected. No matter how hard you plan, no matter how much you program it out, things don't always go as you've expected. We've had three, two went pretty easily, one was an adventure. Of course, it was the first one. He was due around Father's Day, around June 20th, but he came early. How many know the first one early? That's not fair. Like the first one, you need extra time. You need a little extra time. You think, oh, I got a couple more weeks to get the crib stuff together. I got a couple more weeks to get the, the, uh, figure out the car seat. Now, here's what's really embarrassing. We had a car seat for about six years before we had a kid. Yeah, my wife worked at JCPenney's and they discontinued car seats there and clearanced them. And we bought the super deluxe ultimate Eddie Bauer edition car seat stroller combo for like $19 when it was like a $200 thing. And that thing was in a box about the size of this pulpit right here. And it moved from Oregon to to Spokane to Everett to Spokane. We moved that thing through four different places without a kid. We carried that box all around anticipating, waiting for the time 
time when we would have uh, finally a, a child to use that car seat on. I don't even know if it was legally safe to use. Car seats are only good for so long. By the time we finally used it, but what did we know? We'd been waiting forever for this thing. And, uh, and so it's funny, you know, that first one coming early was really unfair. Because all the waiting and all the expectations, all the books that we, she read, and uh, all the preparation that we went through, I wasn't ready for four o'clock in the morning, her to lean over and say, uh, my water broke. I was like, no, it's four o'clock in the morning. And then I looked at the calendar and I was like, well, okay. <laughs> Here's a funny joke in our house. So my son was born June 8th. Uh, 2006. And we knew we were due around the 20th, but you know, a little bit earlier than that, we started having the, whatever, the Braxton Hicks or whatever. And by, by we, I mean, she's doing all this. And, uh, and I'm like, sounds like it's rough. Um, <laughs> and so we knew the baby was maybe going to come. We didn't know what's going on, but I had this epiphany. I was like, I'm going to be in ministry. I'm in ministry. We can't have our first child being born on June 6, 6, 6, 2006. I was like, people are going to tell stories about that. It's never, they're going to live that down. So we need to make it at least to the 7th. She's like, all right, all right. 4 a.m. on the 7th, water breaks. I'm like, oh, no. Here we go. We go to the hospital. We rush over there. We, we come in, and they're like, what's going on? We're like, we're having a baby. And they freak out more than we're freaked out. Now we're freaked out because they freaked out because we didn't know we were supposed to be freaked out. And they're like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And we get into the room, we get in the room, get in the room, get in the room, get in the room, get in the room and we wait. Brayden comes around, around 8 a.m. June 8th. <laughs> and so, so he took his sweet time once we got there, right? And then, you know, what I wasn't prepared for, see, things don't always go as expected, even when you're waiting for them. I wasn't prepared for, the, for we ended up having to have surgery to have him. And, and then so my wife was in recovery. And suddenly, a lot of these things that I didn't read about, I was now responsible for. Like meconium. Some of you know, and you're like, ah, others are like, don't Google it. <laughs> I was now responsible for things. And suddenly we get to this point where they put this baby in my hands and they're like, you've been lugging this, this car seat around for six years, use it. And they give me this child and they give us this baby and we go to get in the car and I'm like, I didn't get a permit. There was no like mandatory classes that I had to pass with a letter grade. And they're letting me take home this baby. Are you kidding me? this human life that I'm responsible for. You see, it's not always what you expect. And as we walk through the Advent season, part of the story has been this incredible series of gifts that haven't been exactly what you would expect when God sends the Savior into the world. If you think about the first, uh, the first candle, the first gift, the gift of hope, and the things that were going on at that time, at that place in the world, they had been waiting for a long time. Some of you are like, I can't wait until dinner tonight. They had been waiting for so long, if you think all the way back, they'd been waiting since Adam for God to restore the balance in the relationship. That's some 4,000 years between Adam and Jesus. They'd been waiting. They'd been waiting since King David for his heir to sit on the throne, to rule and to restore kind of the glory of Israel and God's people. That's like a thousand years. They'd been waiting since Isaiah Isaiah prophesies this amazing uh, word from the Lord. And he says, uh, he says, for unto us, a child is given. Unto us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he shall be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, 
prince of peace. That's an amazing promise. We're going to get a child and he's going to be the prince of peace, the everlasting God, the mighty God, everlasting father, wonderful counselor. They'd been waiting 700 years since that promise. No Messiah, no Jesus. They'd been waiting since the book of Malachi closed and the last prophet talked and the last time God directly interacted with the people in the word of God was, was, was closed for 400 years of silence. No prophets, no word from God. They'd been waiting a long time for Jesus. And hope comes into the world. Hope's really hard when you've been waiting a long time, isn't it? Hope's really hard when things don't seem to be going according to plan. Hope's really hard when it's been a long season of expectation. And so I ask you this morning, what are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? What are you waiting for? It's interesting to think about this crazy story and how hope arrives. All of these folks are waiting for the Messiah to show up. And even though they were waiting for him to show up, just like my Braden's birth story, maybe some of the birth stories you've experienced, the birth story didn't look like anyone planned. This wasn't the plan that anyone had in mind except God. It starts with a guy that, that we, we, we would be unrecognizable throughout history, a carpenter named Joe. He's a blue-collar guy from a small town called Nazareth where there's literally something that gets said about Nazareth. It was a known saying, does anything good come from Nazareth? Now, <clears throat> I think I might have gotten myself in trouble by making fun of some of the smaller towns around our little town and kind of the things that they're known for. for being, you know. But you know which small town that no one wants to go to or be from. And there's nothing coming out of there. And you're just like, ah, and that's what Nazareth was. Just a small town. No one's from there. Nothing significant happening from there. Here's Joe, Joseph, of no special authority, of no special reputation, of no special influence. As a matter of fact, we know he doesn't have special authority, wealth, influence, because when he's on his way to Bethlehem for the census, he doesn't have enough influence in the town that he's originally from, Bethlehem, where he was born. He doesn't have enough influence there to secure lodging, to secure a room, to secure a place to stay. He doesn't have that kind of influence. He's blue collar. Probably swinging a hammer guy, doing things in a small community, doing fix-it jobs and maybe crafting some things. Not exactly the picture of influence after 4,000 years of waiting from Adam. 400 years of silence. And then we meet Mary, an unwed, pregnant Teenage girl. She's not married. She's betrothed. She's engaged. But she's not married. And she's pregnant. She's very pregnant. She's showing. She's about due. And her story goes something like this. An angel told me I'm having God's baby. Baby. I don't know how well that story went over in her hometown. Hey, Mary, how'd that happen? An angel told me I'm having God's baby. Uh, okay. I don't know how that went over. It didn't go over well enough that they secured traveling mercies for her and, uh, and found a place for her to stay and took care of her. She didn't have influence. She had a betrothed person who was sticking it out with her, but that's all she had. They show up. And there's no room in the inn. 
Now listen, your nativity scene lies to you. It is not a cute little uh, uh, barn that they go into. The stable where the animals were is like a carved out cave. This was incredible. This past year, I got to go to Bethlehem. Now the place where they believe Jesus was born now, there's a massive church built there. And there's a giant, like, I don't know how else to word it, shrine. Like it's just opulent and there's gold things everywhere. And there's a giant star on the ground where they think the manger was. But that's not what it was like. You go a couple miles outside of town and you get into the Shepherd's Hills and you see the kind of environment that was more like what, what Bethlehem would have been like 2,000 years ago. And it's just carved out caves, places where they brought the animals in to keep them out of the elements and out of the weather to store them where they built housing around there and it was more like shared housing and an inn would have just been lending out rooms in his place. And there is nothing opulent about it, nothing special, nothing significant it probably wasn't silent. Animals would have been baying. Listen, I don't know how many births you've been to. Has anyone been to one where it was silent? I'm just saying. That's weird. It's not silent. There's all kinds of volume going on in this little cave. Animals are wondering why they're taking their food trough, placing a baby in there. Here comes a bunch of shepherds. They're not famous. They're not wealthy. They're not well-to-do. God shows up to them and says, hey, go check out this baby. And they show up. I don't know about you. We didn't want a bunch of people we didn't know just showing up when we were having that baby. Let alone some shepherds who were basically kind of nomads, gypsies, homeless travelers that just went from place to place. And they show up. They're like, we want to see your baby. Some of the mom's eyebrows just went up. <laughs> like, I don't think so. That's not the plan. Yet hope shows up in this incredible picture that's unlike anything that anyone expected, even though everyone was waiting for it. Sometimes the package of hope that shows up in our lives is nothing like what you expected. Let's face it. If I was doing it, I would do it differently. You would do it differently. If I was entering into the world and I was God, I would call up whoever wrote the screenplay for Terminator. I'd say, that's what I want. I want the sky to rip open. I want lightning to flash. I want to drop in in an Arnold Schwarzenegger type body. Just boom, drop in, do the superhero drop. You know, you have to come in hard. Boom, the ground has to shake. Your fist has to kind of hit the ground. You stand up, you're six something, just ripped, chiseled, right? And you look around, you say, come with me if you want to live, <laughs> right? And I wouldn't do it in a manger. And I wouldn't do it in Bethlehem. I'd do it in the temple, or I do it in the palace. I do it in Rome, or I do it in Jerusalem. I do it with people of influence who can't deny what just happened. I drop in and I'd say, I'm here. You've been waiting for me. I'm ready, come with me. But God didn't do it that way. He didn't send hope into the world, into a place of great influence, influence and tremendous authority and power. In fact, he went to a place of no influence to people of no influence, with no authority, with limited power, and said, I'm going to demonstrate hope in this way. Why would you do it that way? Why do it that way? Here's what I think. I think that if Jesus came into the world 
30 years old, chiseled, ripped, long hair flowing, ripped abs, and just showed up in the temple and showed up in the palace, then we might feel that we had to be temple ready, temple worthy people to get into the presence of God. He's unreachable. There was a long process to be ready to go into the temple. There's a big screening process to be allowed into the court. You had to work your way into the presence of the king. See, Jesus didn't want hope to enter into the world that way. It wasn't connected to your performance. As a matter of fact, hope came into the world in one of the lowest possible places. Shepherds, no reputation. Joe, carpenter from from a nowhere town, living in a nowhere town. Mary, unwed, teenage, pregnant. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to see the baby who would become the king of the, who is the king of the world and the universe, if you wanted to see him, it wouldn't take good uh, 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 leveraging your authority and relationship. You know what it would take? It would take humility to walk into that manger. It would take humility to walk into that place, to look down upon that baby in that situation. See, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Hope shows up, breaking all expectations, reminding us that those that are humble have access to hope and have access to him. It was so unexpected, the Matthew account tells us that when the Magi showed up to Herod and said, we've seen the star and we know, we know that something's happening here. We got to go. Where's the place where this is happening? Herod didn't even know what they were talking about. He had to wake up the religious people and say, go into the, pull out the scrolls. They couldn't remember that it was supposed to happen in Bethlehem. It'd been 700 years since that prophecy. It wasn't sharp in their recollection. It was unexpected. Oftentimes, God sets hope in incredibly unexpected ways. Maybe, maybe this holiday season, the hope that you have is going to be unexpected for someone else. Maybe it's a very unexpected encounter that you're going to have with someone. Maybe in the next 48 hours, you're going to see someone and there's no anticipation of hope, but your presence there because of what God's done in you makes hope available for somebody else. Maybe you weren't expecting to have hope. And this morning, God's saying, listen, your situation, the thing you've been waiting for, I don't know what you're waiting for, but hope's available. And that's what the Christmas season reminds us of. That's what the gift of hope is. The second gift is the gift of love. The second candle that we lit was the love candle. This incredible gift of love. Now, I love the gift of love because love, the gift of love answers God's why. Why do this at all? Why come into the world at all? Why send his son, get off the throne, into the world, into the belly of a teenage girl and be born in those circumstances understanding the end result of his life and eventual death. The gruesome death that he would end up suffering and then the conquering of that death as he raised from the grave. Why do it at all? And the answer is love. The answer is this incredible gift of love on display. The answer is when you say, God, why would you do that for me? The answer is because I love you. The answer is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But wait a second. Don't you realize, God, all the things I've done? 
Don't you realize all the messes I've made? Don't you realize the times I've rejected you, run from you, left behind what I knew was good and pursued what I, what I knew I shouldn't pursue? Don't you know? And God says, yes. Well, then why? Well, because I love you. Wait, wait, wait. Don't you know the pride that swells up in me and the arrogance and the self-sufficiency and the thinking that I can just do this on my own and then I have to fail? And don't you know all the times I fail? And, and God would say, yes. Well, then why? Well, because I love you. Wait, wait, don't you know the times I've really hurt somebody and left wounds and damaged and the weight of my mistakes have done so much damage? Why would you send your son? Well, because I love you. And suddenly it becomes this weird answer and you're like, God, I don't know if I like that answer. And God's looking down with a perfect father's love saying, remember all those times when your kid kept asking you why and you couldn't comprehend, they couldn't comprehend the answers that you were giving them and finally you got frustrated and you're like, because I said so, because I do. God's looking down with a perfect father's love and you're asking him, but why? Why do it this way? Why come in humble circumstances? Why be so concerned about hope? Why after so many hundreds and then thousands of years come into the world and change everything that way? Why die? Why suffer? Why do that for me? And God's like, fine, because I said so. But why? Because I love you. But why? Because I do. The Christmas story is this gift of love that's encompassing, that's complete. It's because he does, and because he do, because he do. <laughs> My California English coming out. This incredible gift of love. John, the apostle, in his aged years, writes this in 1 John chapter 4. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I love this picture John paints. You're just loved because you are. Not because you loved him, not because you pleased him, not because you created some kind of a, a, a strategy to to make him happy. You're just loved because you are. You is because you is. Uh, thinking about my California people's got my slang coming out. And then John says, dear friends, <clears throat> so you're paying attention. You received this gift since God so loved us. We also ought to give that love away and love one another. If you were here several weeks ago when we talked about the love uh, gift, you know, we unpackaged all the things that come out when we're loving somebody, patience. Sometimes just giving someone patience is giving them love. Kindness, just giving someone kindness is giving them love. Not being rude. Sometimes just making a decision to not be rude is the most loving thing you can do. For some of you, that's the thing you mostly needed to hear before you went and did your Christmas stuff is that you have the ability to give away love in ways you've never thought of before. And you can be an ambassador of giving love away this whole holiday season. For some of you, you felt like my love bucket is just empty right now. And God's saying, that's not the truth. You have access to love. You're loved because you are. And I am love. And you have access to me. 
And you might not even have realized this, but the thing you're supposed to give away more than anything else, more than any of the stuff you bought, more than any of the things you cooked, more than any of the things you put away, is just an understanding to someone you see in the next 48 hours that they are loved. You're loved because you're loved. So God comes into the world bringing hope into situations that looked hopeless, demonstrating love to people who may have felt like there was nothing especially special about them at all, but they're just loved because they're loved. And then the third candle we lit was the gift of joy. The gift of joy. Joy is such a Interesting thing, because it's something you can't just manifest as an emotion whenever you want to manifest it. If joy is an emotion, it's a really difficult gift to get and a difficult gift to give away. So I start thinking about the story, and I'm like, okay, Joseph, my teenage fiance is telling me she's pregnant. What's my response? Joy. <laughs> Mary, this angel's telling me I'm having a baby. I haven't even been with a man. Hmm, Joy. We got to go on a road trip because they're doing a census. Why? Because they want to raise taxes. Joy. How many of you in tax season, the thought you have is joy, right? When they're making new tax policy even, that's what's happening. That's why Luke places us right in a very specific time. When you read Luke, Luke wants you to know this is a historically accurate narrative, a place in time. It's not a fiction. It's not just some feel-good story. He wants you to know there is a very specific thing that's happening in this moment. You've got a guy who's now the emperor, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is a real dude. You know about Caesar Augustus. You learned about him in school. Caesar Augustus takes the throne when he gets into a civil war with, I don't know, some guy named Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. He conquers them in Egypt and takes over uh, all, of, uh, all of Rome and begins establishing and asserting himself as king, as emperor, as the first real emperor of Rome. And the first order of business is how in the world do I fund the empire? Taxes. So Quirinius is, it becomes the kind of the proconsul of the area and he appoints a Herod who Herod at the time was aligned with Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, pleads for his life and, uh, and manages to switch teams, which is brilliant out of, out of Herod. Herod becomes the king over all of the Israel area. And so they commission that they're gonna have to do a census. Why? Because they have to count all of the people so they can raise taxes. Why is that important? Because this story is placed strategically in history so that we can all understand what it was like, what was going on, and what the perfect moment in time was so that God could come into the world, so that we could see intense time when governments were being overthrown, where leaders were tyrannical, where people weren't, uh, 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 are all divided because of political opinions and siding, where families are turning against families, ethnicities are turning against ethnicities, nations are turning against nations. God goes down in the form of a baby and says, you know what's coming into the world? Joy. Can you imagine walking into some of the hot button, charged up, energized political opinions of this time, going to these moments where people are polarized on side to side, where a nation is feeling tension from side to side and saying, you know what's missing from this equation? We forgot joy. And here's this almost seemingly irrational joy, but what was the joy connected to? The joy wasn't connected to circumstance. These aren't joyful circumstances. 
a forced march to a town that I don't live in, but I used to live in, so that we can, I'm nine months pregnant, and you're going to put me maybe on a donkey, maybe I'm walking, march me over here, you got no place for me to stay, the baby's on the way, we have no resources, we can't get into the inn, and joy, joy wasn't connected to circumstances, some of us, the hardest thing we have when experiencing the gift of joy is we can't get past our circumstances, Joy wasn't about our circumstances. Joy is about God's promise and his faithfulness and what he's accomplished and what he's guaranteed is available to us. Joy is about knowing that even though he slay me, his promises are still yea and amen. I can still trust him. I can still count in him. He's still reliable. He still loves me. He still has a plan for me. There is still a hope for me. Joy is connected to that. It's a weird time for joy to be a theme, but joy pops up over and over and over and over again in the story. We just read in Luke chapter two that there were shepherds in the fields and they were keeping watch over their flocks and an angel appeared to them and the glory of the Lord showed around them and they were terrified. You know, I don't know if you saw on the news, there was a a big thing in the sky over LA and everyone was just terrified. They're used to millions of lights over LA, but a big thing shows up in the sky and there's just like terror in the skies. These are guys, there's never anything in the sky but the stars. There's no airplanes, no satellites, no streetlights, nothing. Suddenly lights, bright shining in the sky. Terror is the appropriate emotion. But the angel's like, wrong emotion. Verse 10, don't be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news of great joy that's for all the people. He says, joy. It's connected to the good news that God's here with you, keeping his promises for you, loves you, and it's for everybody. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and he is Christ the Lord. Joy doesn't come from having everything perfect. It comes from knowing God's perfect love. It doesn't come from having everything be perfect. If joy can't come until everything's perfect, then none of us are gonna experience joy. Joy is connected to the heart of a father who loves us unconditionally, has a plan for us, and wants to spend forever with us, who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into the world for us so that we might be saved, so that we can have access to him, who loved us even while we were totally, totally rebelling from him. Joy reminds us that God still has the whole world in his hands. He's in control. Joy. The last candle that we lit so far was the gift of peace. Peace keeps showing up in this Christmas story. The fourth gift is peace. You know, the dictionary defines peace as freedom from disturbance, quiet, (laughs) tranquility. It's often, though, in situations that are exactly the opposite of that, that we most recognize our need for peace. When everything's going well, we don't need peace. But things weren't going well. The world that Jesus came into was not stable, It was not peaceful. That night was not silent. There was a divide between God and his people. There were conflicts between families and nations. There was unrest in the hearts of many. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And Jesus comes and Isaiah says, he's gonna be known as the prince of what? Peace. And peace shows up. It's the kind of peace that's only available when we know that God is for us. Not against us. When we know that He has plans and hopes for us, not against us. 
Peace comes from knowing that Jesus did come. And not only that he came, but what he accomplished because he came. That he tore down the wall of hostility between us and God because of our behavior. He broke that wall. The curtain was rended, was ripped in half. Jesus said, you got to remember what I came to do. And time and time again, he invites us back to remember that. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, says it this way. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says, you can bring whatever your situation is to God and he can provide a peace. Why? Because you recognize that the creator of the universe is for you and not against you. He loves you and he wants relationship with you. I got a lot of friends that struggle with peace. Peace is evasive. But if the Christmas and Easter stories really came together to accomplish God's will for us on earth, his good news and his goodwill, then peace is possible for each and every one of us, no matter what your situation is. Peace is possible. So there's a lot of traditions. And in a moment, I'm going to light the candle and we're going to light all our candles. But I thought, as we thought about this incredible peace and this gift of peace that God gave to us, that what we could do uh, today before we light the candles is we're gonna take communion. Now, communion is an interesting thing. Communion was instituted by God, by Jesus. And he said, I want you to do this when you remember me. And what we do in this season is we're remembering. He says, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood, which is for the remission of sins. He says, this is what I'm going to accomplish for you. I'm going to accomplish peace. And peace is available for you today. It's available for you in the holiday season amidst all of the crazy things that are going on. So in order to just remember that, I'm gonna have the ushers come forward. And I don't know if you've been struggling with peace. It'd be very easy to. The way the world is looking right now, it'd be very easy to do that. But peace takes us back to an understanding that everything we've ever needed was accomplished by Jesus. Hope was restored. Love was demonstrated. Joy was made manifest. Peace between us and God was accomplished. So listen, as we take communion, they're gonna pass around the elements and you're gonna get a cup and a wafer. You just grab those and hold on. We're gonna worship together and then I'll, uh, I'll pray and we'll take, we'll take it together. And then just right after that, we're gonna, we're gonna light the candle <clears throat> and I'll, I'll kind of break down the, uh, the Jesus candle. But here's what I want you to know. You don't have to be a member of the church to take communion with us. Membership isn't a, isn't a part of it. All you have to do is wanna join with us as we remember what Jesus did. And if that's what you'd like to do, then you can take, take this and we're gonna worship together and then I'll come back and we'll pray. Just take it and hold it. You know, the Christmas story is so powerful because of the Easter story, because of what Jesus accomplished, because of what he's done for us, because of the peace that was made possible. So if you hold those elements, I'm gonna pray and then we'll take them. Jesus, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you for the peace that passes understanding. 
Thank you for a peace that's not what the world gives or expects of peace, but that you give that comes from knowing you and your heart for us and your heart to, to, to be with us and to know us for tearing down the curtain that divided us, for, for bringing us into the presence of our loving Father, for showing us, God, that it's the picture of who you are and what you're really like. And you love us. And we can have hope again. And we can have joy in every circumstance because of what you've done. And so we remember and we say thanks. And we just love you back. And happy birthday in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take a knee. The last candle that we're going to light today is the gift of Jesus and his actual coming, the advent. And it's amazing because it just reminds us that hope showed up. Love showed up. Our source of joy showed up. Peace showed up. Jesus came. God keeps and kept and keeps and is keeping his promises. He sent his son into darkness and brought forth this incredible light for all of us. He came into a people in an unexpected package, in an unexpected way, in a way that no one was expecting, but everyone was waiting for. And I don't know what you're waiting for today, but he brings light into every dark place. The package may not look like what you expected, but he's faithful because he's loving, because he cares, and because he loves you. So here's kind of how we're, we're gonna begin to just wrap this up is uh, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna light the, uh, the Christ candle and then I'm gonna take that light and I'm going to light a couple of you, and then you're going to pass that light around. And as we do that, Kevin's going to come, and he's going to read uh, from John 1. And when he's done, we're going to sing Silent Night. We'll all stand together and sing Silent Night. And, uh, and then I'll come up, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. But, uh, but let's, uh, let's do that. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, and amen. Kevin's going to come, and he's going to read this for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. You know, it never ceases to amaze me in this season that millions and millions of people, millions and millions of people come together and celebrate the birth of a little Jewish baby 2,000 years ago. Think about that for just a minute. All over planet Earth, time was reorganized. Our calendars were restructured. History changed its narrative because 2,000 years ago, a little Jewish boy was born of a family of no reputation, of no influence, in a place of no reputation and no influence. Why? Because he was Christ the Lord. This is the season that we're reminded no matter how you celebrate Christmas, no matter what your tradition is, no matter what thing you've been waiting for, that God has in fact drawn near to us. Even those of us that have drawn away from him or been drawn away from him by our lives. He came to make it clear that we are now given a platform of how to address him as father that he wanted an intimate and close relationship with us despite our past, despite our failure, despite our circumstances. We're reminded we no longer have to negotiate our sin with him. We are no longer entering into a debate. We are simply having to remember that the negotiation has ended. We're forgiven because of what he has done on our behalf. For unto us, a child was born. Unto us, a savior was given a savior to bring hope, a savior to bring love, a savior to bring joy, a savior to remind us and bring peace. We can lay our heads down at night and know peace, not because everything around us is perfect, but because everything around us is right between us and God. For some of you in the room, maybe this holiday season would be the time where you said, you know what? God and I haven't been at peace for a long time. Maybe never. And you would just need to kind of in a a very uh, visceral way just acknowledge, you know what? The first step for me is just recognizing I need to be at peace with God again. Or maybe for the first time. The Bible's really clear. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you'll be saved. He'll welcome you in. You have to accept the gift. He doesn't manipulate you or force it upon you. But maybe you haven't done that. And wouldn't it be cool if you could look back? What an easy date to remember. Christmas Eve. It's the anniversary of when I made a decision to stop running from God and accept his peace. So when I made a decision to put my hopes in him and stop waiting for things that were the wrong things and to trust him, it's when I made a decision to receive the love that I hadn't received up until that point or that I'd run away from when I made a decision that I could experience joy because I know who he is and I know that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where I'm going because Jesus came. Wouldn't it be easy to remember that date? Wouldn't that be a cool date? Christmas Eve, 2017. Now you got candles in your hands, so I'm not gonna have you bow your heads and close your eyes because I told first service, I don't know how much product you have in your hair. If you go put your head forward, it'd be a whole different kind of service. But maybe in a room like this, in a place like this, you would just take a moment and say, yeah, I need the peace that Jesus gives and I've been running from it for too long and you would just lift a hand courageously saying, yeah, I need that. I'm gonna give you a moment to do that. If that's you, just raise a hand and just wave it at me. You don't have to keep it up there long. You just wave it at me. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, see that hand, see that hand. That's good. God, thanks 
Thanks for coming for us. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for the peace that passes understanding. Thanks that your word says all the heaven rejoices. We've been reading about angels and joy and unexpected things. But what we also know is that when we make this decision to trust you again for the first time or for, for to come back to you after running, that all of heaven rejoices and we need that peace. God, I pray for those of us that just need to be ambassadors of that peace this season, that need to be ambassadors of your love. I pray for the relationships that, that are gonna have the first step toward healing and restoration and, and miracles because we recognize what you did for us and we can, as, as Brother John shared, we can give that away. So we give it away this holiday season. It's more important than anything else we could give. So we just want to do that. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.